Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. I'm a, I want to talk to you about, about hell this morning. Um, some of you knew I was kidding. Uh, I am kidding. Not, not that we shouldn't, because it's a real place. And uh, unfortunately, there are going to be people who will spend eternity separated from God there. But we're not going to talk about that today, uh, specifically. Um, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, um, we're going to make our way to uh, John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, and uh, to, to look at John's telling of the Christmas story. And uh, John has a very, very different perspective. It's a little unusual. Um, we're going to pull from Mark and Luke. We've been doing that, telling you that for this, this series. Um, and you may want to get your listening guide out, your worksheet out if you want to do that. Uh, but this morning, before we dive into Scripture, I, I want us to think a little bit about something. You know, every year at Christmas, kind of especially growing up, all of us probably got something that you needed... But you weren't ever really very excited to get, you know. When we were kids, we all had those presents that we were just desperate for. We had begged mom and dad for them. You know, we would even endure sitting on Santa's lap, you know, hoping that it would help us, you know, get some leverage to get what we're leading up to, you know, what we're hoping for. And, and then kind of going into the Christmas, you know, maybe there would show up. Under the tree, a wrapped gift that was about the shape and size of that thing that you had hoped for and, and, and were longing for. And you would start to get a little more excited. Expectations would go up. And, you know, if you were one of those families that wouldn't let people touch gifts, then you would just kind of study the shape and contour of the wrapping paper. You know, if, uh, if you were one that got to shake it, maybe you'd shake it and try to verify that maybe, maybe this was it. Do, do any of you remember being excited about a gift like that? You know, kind of growing up thinking, you know, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them, whether you got the gift or not, just one that you were excited about, you know. Tell them what that gift was for you. Just one gift that you were really excited that you anticipated. Take a moment to do that, okay? Now, some of you spoiled brats always got what you wanted. And um, how many of you are seated next to one? No, don't raise your hand. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. I, I remember um, my, my th- the year that I was 13 years old going into Christmas, 13, 14. I'm not sure which one it was specifically. But um, I, I remember wanting something desperately. And I wanted the same football cleats that Billy White Shoes Johnson wore. Does anybody remember Billy White Shoes? Anybody remember? I mean, Billy was the man. He was like one of the premier kick and punt returners in the NFL. At the time, he was playing for the Houston Oilers. And he kind of was one of the early uh, dance in the end zone celebration guys. And he would do the funky chicken. Some of you may remember. I'm not going to demonstrate. I know some of you longing, you know, that I would give you this Christmas present of doing the funky chicken right. I'm not going to do that. Um, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get somebody up here to do that later. Maybe Pastor Terry will do it for us in the, you know, the last song or something. But... I, I remember wanting those shoes. 
Because I was convinced that those shoes would change the trajectory of my high school football career. I, I just knew it. And so I longed for those shoes. And sure enough, that Christmas, there showed up under our Christmas tree a box. It was gift wrap, but it was a box with my name on it. And it was shaped. It was like shoebox size. And so I just knew this is, this is, this is the gift. I'm going to get these shoes. And my life is going to be forever changed. And so anyway, come, come Christmas morning, um, I'm handed that, that gift by, by my dad. And it doesn't feel like I remember it feeling in the store. It's a little bit different weight. It's lighter. But I, I think, you know, light shoes make you go faster. Billy probably had light shoes. So I start opening and it's the, the, I tear the paper off and it's the brand shoe box that I wanted. And I pull the lid off and there are tube socks. In my box. Tube socks. Filled my box. Somebody at the end of the first service came up to me and, and, and told me we have a counseling center because they could tell <laughs> apparently I still am smarting from this, you know, setback in my life. Now, before you feel too sorry for me, I did get the cleats uh, just before we went to football camp that, that summer. Um, and th this may surprise some of y'all. I don't know. Um, shoes don't change your speed or finesse much. Just... Just saying all, you know, it didn't, didn't impact my football career the way I thought it would. But all of us have had these, these gifts that, you know, we, we didn't anticipate. I didn't anticipate tube socks. I needed them, but I, I didn't anticipate that's what I was going to get that Christmas, you know. And uh, many of you have had something on your want list, you know, that you were anticipating, but then maybe you got a little let down. Because of, because of that. Anticipations are set high. And, and here's, this is just my perspective. Those gifts that you really didn't anticipate getting probably needed but didn't necessarily get excited about usually came from like your grandma. You know? Um, it would be like socks or handkerchiefs, pajamas, something like that, you know? And the way that I knew, the way that I came to know that a gift was not going to be exciting is because, and it was something I needed but didn't necessarily want, is my mom would start, before I even would start wrapping it, she'd start telling me how much I needed it. I knew what that meant. Okay? I, I just kind of started, okay. And then she'd give you that look guide you with her eyes that you better act like you love this boy or it'll kill Christmas, you know, kind of thing like, anybody ever get that look at Christmas, you know, kind of the guiding with your eyes thing. But, and, and you know, here's the thing, we, we get, you know, like my shoes, we get these high expectations and then, then we're let down and I know some of you laughed at it, but that was my pain, you know, as a young man and uh, all of us have experienced that. We, we've experienced, we've had these high expectations at Christmas and then it turns out not to be exactly what we wanted and you know sometimes you get this gift you need but it just wasn't exactly what you were excited about and quite frankly the first Christmas was a little bit like that it, it was a little bit like that when when Jesus came he was the greatest gift the world desperately needed but it kind of went unnoticed by most people you know as an adult, Jesus would make a statement 
that the apostle writer John would record in, in John 3. Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his greatest gift. He gave his one and only son. He, he, he gave this gift, this incredible gift that God is giving to the world because of his love for us. But when Jesus was born, the world missed it. The greatest present ever given on the planet just got missed. Why do you think that was? The most pivotal moment in all of human history just goes so unnoticed. And I think... Personally, I think it's mostly because people weren't looking for it to come that way. They weren't looking for this gift to show up in these unanticipated ways. If you have your Bibles open to John chapter 1, that's where we're going to be this morning. There, there's a lot going on uh, in what John writes here. John begins uh, to tell his Christmas story different than any of the other gospel writers. He, he's putting a different emphasis on the aspects of who Jesus is. Matthew, for example, writes mostly to kind of a Jewish audience. And he's wanting people to really connect with the Old Testament prophecies of who Jesus is. That he's the Messiah, he's the promised one. So Matthew's starts his gospel with the genealogy. He just starts pointing out and establishing the bloodline of Christ uh, back to King David and I mean he just he, he, he wants that to be connected because of the prophecies. Mark on the other hand, Mark just kind of blows past. I don't know if you know this, Mark uses the word immediately a lot in his gospel. Mark, Mark was like, he, he, let's get to the details baby, let's move on, let's be quick. Yeah that's rain. Yeah, you're familiar with that? You know, that's that liquid sunshine I was talking about earlier. But Mark, Mark, Mark uses the word immediately 35 times in his gospel. And, and he uses it nine times in the first chapter. Mark picks up Jesus' life and ministry. He picks it up um, really right before Jesus launches his public ministry. He kind of goes in about John the Baptist and then and dives in. And Mark just begins popping off one moment and one miracle after another. And he's the shortest gospel. And his focus really was on the miracles and the power of Christ. And then there's, you know, Doc Luke. And Doc is detailed, you know, guy. He, he's, he, he wants to get the details across. And he's, he's really presenting the humanity of Jesus. He wants people to connect and understand the humanity of Jesus. And that's one of the reasons we turn to him so much during the Christmas time was because of all the details and because of the beauty of the humanity that we see displayed in Luke's gospel. But John takes a completely different bent. John, John wants people to get that Jesus, yes he's man, but he's fully God. He was completely God. And John was writing mostly to kind of a Greek audience. And so he doesn't take the actual event of the birth of Christ. He goes back in the past, long before that first Christmas, he goes back to creation. Is where John starts his Christmas story. And he says these words. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John is using that word, Word, to identify with Jesus. He's connecting. Jesus is, is the Word. And in the original language, that word, Word, is the word Logos. 
And Logos really is, if you wanted a definition for it, Logos is kind of like an expression or a declaration of a thought. And so what John is saying is Jesus is the perfect expression of who God is. He's the ultimate expression. He's God in the flesh. He's, he, he's, he's declaring who God is. A stronger word might even be manifestation. This is, this is God manifested in our world. And so John begins his version of the Christmas story saying Jesus is not like another prophet man. He, he's not just some other prophet that's showing up on the scene. He is God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. That's, that's who he is. So he starts out saying it this way. In the beginning was the word. What he's saying at Christmas time you just need to understand this about Jesus. He's always been. He's always existed. And then he says, and the word was with God. Jesus was right there alongside with God the Father when the, the word was spoken into existence, when the universe began. Jesus was there. And then it says, and the word was God. The word was God. The Logos be, uh, was Theos. He, the, the, Jesus is God. He wants us to understand that. So John is putting this incredible emphasis on the deity of Jesus, showing that he's the son of God, you know, and that he is, he's come to earth. He's the son of God come to earth as this, this baby. And this should be such a pretty big deal. Now, we have the advantage of hindsight. We, we, we look back and we, we kind of think, why wasn't there this massive celebration? Why wasn't there a, a bigger deal? Why didn't the whole world just kind of stand still? For such this, you know, spectacular event. Why, why wasn't it like that? But then we read like Luke's version of the Christmas story and Matthew's version. And it kind of feels like the wrapping paper of the story doesn't really line up with the greatness of this gift. Now, please hear me. I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical of God's gift giving, you know, ability. I... I uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the, always the best gift giver. I don't always put the most forethought into it, plan ahead the way I should. I will confess, don't judge me. But I will confess that there have been times that I have gone out on Christmas Eve shopping for my lovely wife. Um, I've, I've done that, you know. And, uh, you know, you, I, I may not know for certain what I'm, what I'm going in the store to get on that day. But, you know, after a couple passes up and down the aisle, I can, uh, I can pretty much find something, you know, that I think this is just the perfect gift I've been looking for. And I, I, can, go, I can go pay for it, you know. And I can walk out of the Sphinx and be back before that gas pump clicks. <laughs> no, I, I don't do that. I don't shop for Kathy at Sphinx. Um, but I have been shopping on Christmas Eve. And here's, here's I, I would love for somebody to do a sociological study of this, um, that I believe, because I've been out there, that there is a significant population disparity between men and women on Christmas Eve shopping. I believe that the males of the, the, the species, there's more of us out there, you know, on Christmas Eve because of, of the planning issue. We, we, we intend to plan, but then we always don't, do, you know, follow through on it. And, and for people like that, people who are last minute, you know what the greatest invention was? Gift bags. Gift, is anybody else wrapping challenged? 
You know, I just, I'm wrapping challenged and the greatest invention for kind of those who may delay in their gift buying are gift bags because it can be pretty and presented, you know, just, just this certain way. We, we were at Love Gave yesterday and, and we were talking about that. Just, man, this was, this was like the greatest gift to the male of the species was gift bags. So this, this idea of, of the details, you know, of Christmas, maybe not being wrapped up like one would expect may, may, may cause somebody who doesn't really know and understand that God is a God of detail. They may read the Christmas story and think, what up? God, what, what's, what's up with this? The greatest gift humanity would ever get and what about the, the details? Like it was almost like, was it done haphazardly? Well, we know from the beginning of time that that's not true. That God was at work planning the details of this event. We, know, we can go back to Genesis chapter 3 and read of the first prophecy of the coming Savior. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 14 and 15 it says the Lord God, God himself made this prophetic word. He tells this. Um, he's speaking to Satan, the serpent in the garden. And he says because you have done this, because you have tempted uh, and, and, and schemed and deceived uh, my beautiful creation, uh, man and woman. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head. There is coming a savior. There is coming one this day. And so there's thousands of years leading up to this moment of Christmas, this, this great, and there are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament of the coming of Messiah. And Matthew wanted everybody to see that. But then between, between the, the, the closing writings of the Old Testament and the beginning of the writings of the New Testament, there's some 400 years. And so there's multiple generations there. And humanity's not hearing anything new about this Messiah. And I guess generation after generation, some people just stop looking. People quit looking and, and other people, they're still looking, but they're convinced that when he comes, he's going to come this certain way, way, even though so much of scripture pointed to another way. They, they think it's going to be significant. It's going to be unbelievable. And we read at Christmas that that didn't match up. You know, we, 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 we hear John's words. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God and we go, yeah, baby. And then you get to the details of, of Christmas and you think, maybe like I thought, Mary and Joseph? I mean, really? They're, they're, they're poor and not, they're not just a little bit poor. They are so poor that they can't purchase a, a, a lamb that was part of the Levitical law to sacrifice for a firstborn son. They, they don't have the money to do that. They have to settle for doves. I mean, I don't know if you thought about the irony of this, but they don't have the money to buy a lamb for the Lamb of God. It's just like, really God? That, 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 that poor? You know, it, it just, it doesn't seem to, to kind of make sense. God, you send this great gift, but the, the wrapping, you know, what's up? And then you think about this journey. Now we have, you know, we, we kind of maybe romanticize the journey that Mary and Joseph had to take to get to Bethlehem from, from Nazareth. It's a long journey, you know. And we, we kind of, you know, again, romanticize it. She was nine months pregnant. She could deliver at any time. And we assume she's riding on a donkey because we could imagine anybody actually walking that far being nine months pregnant. 
And they get there to this inn and what happens? The no vacancy sign is up. You know? And you just, somebody might want to ask God, God, why didn't, why didn't you make a reservation? You know, why, why, didn't, why didn't you call ahead? You knew it was coming. You know when it was going to happen. You know, or, or why, you know, if we were writing the script, we'd have probably done something like this. And the presidential suite suddenly became available and Mary and Joseph received a free upgrade. You know, th that's how we would probably write the script. But it, 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 it didn't happen that way. That's not what happened that first Christmas. Instead, they have to go out literally into a cave. Into a cave where, where animals are, are, are kept. I mean, this, this is what they, they experience. And what's the whole deal with the evil king at this time? Why didn't God snuff him out earlier, you know? Why would you let somebody like that who was going to be such a problem for Mary and Joseph and, and was going to cause the, the, the killing of so many young innocent boys? God, why wouldn't you take care of that detail? It would have made things so much easier for Mary and Joseph if you could just have taken care of that. And then one of the most unanticipated moments in the Christmas story, just, it, it, I think it would blow people's minds, and I think it's why John didn't write about it, because the, 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 the Greeks would not, they'd have quit reading. But Luke writes in Luke chapter 2, and, and we love this, it's so sweet. And she delivered her four-sport son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in a manger. I like the way the NCV translates this. It says this, and she gave birth to her first son. Because there were no rooms left in the inn, she wrapped the baby with pieces of cloth, literally rags that were probably lying around there, and laid him in a box where animals are fed. She, she wrapped him in rags and laid him in a box that animals ate out of. And I'm thinking, God... I don't know that I'd have done it that way. The creator of the universe. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And she laid him in a feeding trough. I mean that's, that's, that's kind of the story. Again, I think that's why John just kind of skipped through that. Because he knew the Greeks would just say, that is not God. We don't think of God that way. You know, much less that he would come humbly. But that he would be laid in a feeding, no way. And so, John comes at the gospel a little differently. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. God, why? Why then, why then a manger? Why this, this feeding trough? And I, this is what I want us to spend a little time thinking about, wrapping our minds around this morning, are these details of the Christmas story. We, we look at them every year. Say, the details are really unchanged so that we're, we're, we really grow so familiar with them that I think that you lose kind of the glory in them. We, we, I don't know that we think, why did it happen that way? I mean, we, we get wrapped up in our Norman Rockwell serpy imagery of, of what it was like. You know, Jesus we see being born to this young woman and you know it was so sweet she was named Mary and he was born in this you know sanitized stable and she laid him in this manger you know that it was just beautiful fresh straw all that kind of stuff when really kind of the horror of those events live some of the greatest unanticipated gifts of the Christmas story 
So what's the reason behind it? We're, we're, you know, we're in the Christmas season. And one of the things that you're going to see, probably you may already be seeing a lot of them, or something like this in Nativity. You know, you may see a lot of them. In my house, we got a bunch. You'll, you'll see some of them later on. Um, but we have a bunch of them. And so I, I've been seeing them for a while now. And here's what I want to challenge you early in. I just want you to go ahead and think about this. Is when you see a nativity for the remainder of this Christmas season, I want you to think about the things that God was doing that we didn't anticipate. I want to give you three of them this morning. There are probably a lot more, but these are three that kind of strike me. Things that God was doing in the Christmas story that we probably just didn't anticipate. And the first one is this. We, I think human beings, we would have anticipated the first Christmas to be kind of cozy and struggle-free. Just kind of cozy, comfortable, and struggle-free. Because this was the, the Son of God. And I just imagine that when Mary got word that she would be giving birth to the Son of God, that she might have assumed, I would have if I were Mary, that there would be certain privileges that came along with that, that calling. You know, certain privileges like maybe I would have a pain-free birth. Like there would be some kind of supernatural epidural delivered, you know, and uh, it would just be cozy and warm and, you know, pain. No, no struggle. It would be struggle free. Here's why I think God didn't do it that way. I think the reason that it wasn't cozy and struggle free is because God, God wanted to identify with our difficulties. He, he wanted through this birth, not only that it, that it wouldn't be cozy and struggle-free because he was at work doing something bigger. He was showing us how he would identify with our struggles. You know, we, we'd anticipate the story maybe that Jesus would be born to a prominent, wealthy, well-known family, be pretty comfortable in his living. But he was born to a poor family. A family where there were lots and lots of struggles. Because Jesus wanted to identify with your struggles and with mine. I, I came to know this guy in college. We became friends. And um, he grew up in a, a fairly affluent home. Uh, very affluent lifestyle. Uh, you may know somebody like this. He, he never, he, he, he had a hard time identifying with people who struggled from like paycheck to paycheck. You know, he, he just didn't have a point of reference with people that, you know, couldn't pay their bills on time. It, he did, I mean, it, it wasn't that he was this mean, wicked guy. He just did not understand. He, he, he didn't get it. And, you know, he, he had money when he needed it for whatever he needed it for. You know, they just, he just didn't, didn't struggle. Too often, I think we think of God that way. I think we think of God as, you know, God's up in heaven. He's rocking the streets of gold thing, you know. And he just, God can't relate to my struggle. And so sometimes we don't know how to go to God because, because we see this disparity. We think that, that God wouldn't understand. He doesn't get it. Christmas shows us that God gets it. He can understand. He can relate. And friends, this is one of the greatest unanticipated gifts at Christmas. Is God gets you. He knows your struggle. He knows my struggle. He knows what it's like to struggle. Are you struggling maybe a little financially this Christmas? Maybe you're not able to, to make the present purchases that you would like to make. 
Jesus, Jesus knew what it was like to grow up poor. He grew up in a very, very impoverished household. The Bible tells us even as an adult, he did not have a place to lay his head. Jesus was homeless for all practical purposes. That's, that's, that's our Savior. Maybe going into this Christmas season, you're already dreading those family moments, those events, those gatherings. Because you know there's just going to be this one person that things are going to be really tense with. And you're, you know, you're, you're really kind of dreading those. And you think Jesus can't relate. Well, he can. You know, Jesus, when he began his public ministry, his mother and his brothers thought he had lost his mind. I mean, they thought he'd gone crazy. And they literally went to try to have him pulled off of the public stage. They, they, they went, in our day we call it committed. They, they went to get him and take him home. And that hurt. That they didn't understand what his mission was about. Maybe you've got a friend who has, who has really let you down. Maybe you've got a friend who has wounded you terribly. Jesus understands. Je Jesus, Jesus gets that. One of his best friends betrayed him. And he did it with a kiss. One of the most affectionate exchanges you can give. His other best friends that were hanging out with him pretty much all of his ministry life, they, they left him in his greatest hour of need. Jesus knew what it was like to live with injustice. You know, some of you could, could speak today of how you have been treated unfairly. You know, maybe, maybe how, you know, you suffered when you were innocent or you would have, were, were abused. You know, you, you could talk about those things. And Jesus would get you. He was innocent. He, he, he committed no crime. Jesus never sinned. But he was tried for crimes he never committed. And he was tortured to death on a cross. For something he never did. Jesus understands what it means to live and be treated unjustly. And he came into the world and did those things so that he could relate to your struggle. And, and my struggle. Jesus knows how you feel whatever you feel. Je Jesus gets that. So when you read the Christmas story and you see these different circumstances. And you read John's gospel in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And you feel like man life isn't lining up. Because of the difficulties, Jesus gets it. Jesus get he, he understands. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 that because of that, we have a high priest, the one that intercedes for us, who's able because he can sympathize with us. We have the perfect high priest. He understands. He gets our difficulties. And that's why verse 16 of Hebrews is able to say, so you and I can come confidently. We, boldly, we can come to the throne of God because he's gracious. And there we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Right, right, right when we need it most because we serve a God who understands our struggle. He understands our hurt. We can go to him boldly, confidently. Knowing that we can find the grace we need when we need it the most. So when those difficulties come, when we're dealing with them, we can go to God confidently knowing that he gets us. This is one of the great unanticipated gifts of the Christmas story. So when you see, when you see a nativity, 
press into that unanticipated joy of knowing that Jesus gets you whatever your struggle is. Another unanticipated piece of the Christmas story is this. We would have probably, if we were writing a script, we would have anticipated maybe that this was going to be this royal spectacle. You know, it was going to be a big event. It was going to be so incredible. It would rival any celebrity birth or celebrity wedding. It would have outdone the royal wedding. You know, that the whole world was tuned in. It, it, it would have outdone that. This, the coming of the Son of God to the planet. We would have anticipated this incredible royal spectacle. But God was doing something deeper. Something more beautiful. God wanted to give us a, a humble model to live by. God, he wanted to give us this, this humble model to live by. And so he begins even at his birth. He begins communicating what it's like to be a humble, a humble person. So Jesus starts out this way because he wants his followers to live this way. Selfless and sacrificially. See, the surprising part, if you think about it, of the Christmas story is not that angels announced the birth. You would have expected if, if the Son of God was being born that there would have been a great announcement, you know. Um, it, it would have been off the charts that angels would have truly come. You'd expect that. But you wouldn't have expected who they went to. That was unanticipated. We'd, you wouldn't have anticipated that would have, they'd gone to the most socio-economically depressed people on the planet, shepherds. The lowliest of people, you know, on, on the chain, socially or economically. We, we, we wouldn't have anticipated that, you know. You would have probably anticipated a, a miraculous birth. You know, you, you'd have probably thought, yeah, if God's coming as a human being, the, the birth itself was going to be miraculous. And it was. Born of a virgin. But nobody probably would have written that it would be done with Mary. I mean, she was, she was unconnected. She was unknown. She was uneducated. She had no celebrity status. She, she was just Mary. Backwoods Mary. But God was doing something. He was doing something e even better. And, and in the birth of Jesus, God turned all of the world systems upside down for thinking about greatness. You know, when Jesus was born... There's, there's a good reason why God sent him to Bethlehem. And one of the reasons is Bethlehem was in the shadow of the capital city. About three miles away. And in the capital city, there was the, the palace of King Herod. It was an architectural wonder of its day. It stood about 90 feet tall at the highest point. It took up about 45 acres. That's the, 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 the palace and the walls and everything like that. There were about 200 acres of gardens and pools and all kinds of things that were built surrounding that. Three miles away, Mary and Joseph could have stepped out of the cave and seen that on a clear day. In, in fact, if the cave would have been positioned just right, they probably could have been in that cave. That could have all overlooked the cave with that feeding trough where Jesus was. You, 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 could, you could have seen it. 
It, it, it was, and, and God turns all of that upside down because he's coming in such a way that it would impact our attitudes about this world and the things of this world. And so out of the gate, Jesus relates to us and he communicates the kind of life, humble life he wants his followers to live. Jesus inspired, the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words in Philippians 2. You, you may know them. I'm going to read it to you out of the message this morning. It says this, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. See, Jesus doesn't sit in the throne room of heaven and just cast demands down on us that we live selflessly and sacrificially from his throne room in heaven. He came down here. And he shows us how to do that. He demonstrated it. Because he knew we needed that. And we need to hear that at this time of the year. Because the message of the world, you know, is, is get what you want. Take care of yourself. We, we just kind of have this tendency to look out for ourselves. You, you, you see, this shows up at, you know, at Christmas under the tree sometimes. You, you see kids, you know, they'll go, especially if they have siblings, they'll go in and they'll, they'll count packages with names on them. Make sure that the, the number's the same. And then if the number's the same, if somebody's got a bigger box, oh my goodness, you know, it, it just, somebody has a meltdown. And, you know, we think as, as adults, we're, we're above all that. No, we're just more passive-aggressive about ours. You know, we'll say to one another, you know, you know, honey, don't, don't, you don't need to get me anything for Christmas. Let's just, we'll, we'll, we'll get stuff for the kids, you know. That, that tool that we saw in Lowe's the other day, you don't need to get that for me. That sweater we saw in the mall, you, you don't need to get, you know what that means? It means you better darn well buy me something, boy. No, I don't know this one. But we, we can get kind of self-caught up and, and become a little more passive-aggressive in this. You know, one of the things I've been doing is just Googling stuff about gift-giving since we said this was going to, you know, we were going to do this series on it. So I've been looking at gift-giving. And one of the things, one of the surveys that I, I came across was a, a survey about the way that men shop at Christmas time. And just a little less than half of the men surveyed said that they often are thinking about how they're going to use what they're getting their wives. Now men, I'm, I don't really mean to out you this year, but ladies, if you get a big screen TV, you get a round of golf, might have been for him, you know. Get a chainsaw, you know. And women, don't let yourself off the hook. You know, we, we, we all kind of have, have that, you know, disease. But here, this one was crazy. Another, another survey that I read, it, it was about millennials. 
that generation. And one of the top ten gifts that millennial men are buying for their wives are video gaming systems. I'm thinking, who are these men? And, and how could they teach me? No, duh. You know, how, how do, what, what is that? Because it's in all of us. Even when we're buying for somebody else, oftentimes we're thinking about ourselves. You know, how, how will it impact me? You know who didn't think that way at Christmas? When God sent his son to redeem us from our sin, he wasn't thinking about the payoff for himself. He could have done it another way if that's what he was thinking about. He was thinking about what you needed. You needed somebody who could relate in your difficulty. You needed somebody who would model what it means to live humbly. And that's why Jesus was speaking of himself. Mark records this in Mark 10. He says, even the Son of Man came not to be served. You know, we would expect that of a king. We would expect that, you know, at Christmas if the King of Kings was coming. He said, but he, I came to serve and to give life, my life, as a ransom for many. That's what this king came. That was unanticipated. Last unanticipated thing is this. And as we look at some of the surprising details of the Christmas story and see the beauty of the unanticipated gifts, you know, the last thing that kind of shows up for me is we would probably have anticipated that Christmas would be a presentation of God's omnipotence and power, his might, his splendor. We would probably have anticipated this, but here's what God most clearly wanted to display and state was how much he loves you. He wanted to clearly get across to you how much he loves you. And so all of these details surrounding the Christmas story that may not seem to line up, you know, with in the beginning was the word. All of those details, they're there because they speak of sacrifice. They point to the sacrifice that God was willing to make for you at Christmas. Jesus had, God had the world at his feet. Jesus had the world at his feet, but he came down here as this vulnerable baby was born in a poor family. He was put in this feeding box. He allowed that to happen to himself. To sacrifice for you. Because you matter that much to him. You know, most of us have this sense that there's kind of this equation that we get that the greater the sacrifice that somebody would be willing to make for us, the greater the love they have for us. You can go online and Google and, and come up and see some of these kinds of things. I did it, you know. Um, a, a young man was being thankful for the sacrifice that a single mom had made, taking extra shifts so she could buy them Christmas presents that they wanted. A husband a wife wrote, took extra hours at work. She, he would begin working uh, extra hours so that she could stay home more with the kids because she longed to do that. Uh, a, a parent wrote about their adult child who gave up a prominent position out of town so that they could stay in town to, to care for their failing dad who was aging and sick. And he sacrificed that. 
I'm not sure whether the husband or wife sent this one in, but it says a husband takes up ballroom dancing lessons. You know, I don't know who was sacrificing there. But we, 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 we kind of equate the sacrifice with, with the love. You know, one of them was about uh, uh, grandparents. Uh, this, this woman was thankful that her parents had moved from a place where they were very comfortable, had lots of friends, life was good. They moved to, to come help take care of a special needs child that had been born into that family because of, of their love. I want you to listen to one of the greatest sacrificial stories ever written. John 3.16, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one would be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. You know, when we look at these unanticipated gifts at Christmas, we see the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make. It really kind of seems out of place when you think about it. In the beginning was the Word, and Word was with God, and Word was God. When you think about it, it's been set scene. But he sacrifices because his love is so great. He could have had a, an easier existence here on earth. He could have arranged that. But he chose to come into the world that he did so that you would understand how much you matter to him. What he was willing to do for you. You know, I, I know we think that first Christmas, you know, we, we sing the, the songs. Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. I don't believe Mary and Joseph were singing that song. They, there wasn't like a heating lamp that they could put that baby under, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't all that, that bright. Jesus would have delivered this, this baby, Jesus. I mean, Joseph would have delivered Jesus with his rough carpenter hands, you know. The, song, the cattle are lowing. The baby, I don't know what lowing is. I, I, my, I had an uncle that had raised cows. I never heard a cow low. I heard a cow moo. You know, I don't understand why the song, I think that's what they're saying. You know, the cattle were mooing. And this, the baby awakes, the little word Jesus, no crying he makes. <laughs> There's a cow in the delivery room, people. You know? But there's this beautiful, unanticipated gift in the midst of that mess. Just the beauty and wonder. Yeah, he, he's crying, but he's crying for you. Because he loves you. Over the last two weeks in this series, we've been kind of giving some challenges. The week before we began, began the series, actually, we challenged you this Christmas to say Merry Christmas a lot. Everywhere you have an opportunity, look for ways to say Merry Christmas, even to one another. And then last week, when Pastor Terry did such a great job, if you didn't see the message, go, go back and watch it. Talking about anticipating the return of the King, the second coming of Jesus. Man, that, that's, we need to celebrate that. And so when you hear somebody say Merry Christmas, think Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We challenge you to do that. This week, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Every time, every time you look at a nativity, I want you to see the unexpected, unanticipated beauty of the gifts, the unanticipated gifts that God 
brought with that first Christmas. And as you, as you look, I want, I want you to think about, about those three things. I want, I want you to think definitely about in the beginning was the word and they weighed him in a trough. And I want, I want you to think about that that was done so that you would be captured by a few things. And so there's some nativities that are going to come up. And I want you to think about some of these things to think about when you see them. Let it remind you when you see any nativity. Let it remind you that God knows your struggle. He understands your difficulty and he, he came to identify with that. He came the way he did so that you would know that Jesus gets you. He understands what you're facing. Secondly, when you look at a nativity, let it remind you that God has called you to a sacrificial life of serving the world. Not from his throne room, but from a cave. From a feeding trough. He came to demonstrate that. And then third, when you look at a nativity, let it remind you how very much God loves you. He would make the ultimate sacrifice eventually on a cross for you. He would leave the splendor and glory of heaven, come to a feeding trough, live a poverty-stricken life, be pained by so many, rejected and die a criminal death. But God raised him on the third day. He went through all that for you. Because it was great love. It was unanticipated. We didn't see it coming. But he did it because he loves you. Passionately. Let's pray. Father God, we come giving you thanks. God, today I'm thankful that you didn't wrap Christmas beautifully. I'm glad when we look at it from worldly standards, it was wrapped up in a mess. Because now we see the beauty of the unanticipated gifts. We realize, God, that you came. You sent your son Jesus the way he came because you wanted us to know you get us. You identify with us. You're not somewhere far away. You are Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know what you're facing today. In between services, we prayed over two men. Our elders did. Two men battling cancer. I don't know what you're facing, but I know this. God wants to be with you in that. No matter what you're facing, God is with you. That's an unanticipated gift at Christmas. God wants you to know also that he's not called you to a life of service without having lived it himself. And so right now, Christ follower, if you have been kind of just kind of meandering through life, not devoted to following Jesus because sometimes it's difficult. Know that that was God's model for you. And maybe today you want to recommit yourself to the life of a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Because of his great love displayed at Christmas for you, he modeled it. That's who he is. He's the suffering servant who's our savior. And maybe you're here today and for the very first time you realize that Christmas is about God saying to you, I love you 
in a sacrificial way. I would give my only beautiful son for your sake. I would let him suffer. I would let him be rejected for you. Because I love you and I can't stand the thought of being apart from you for all eternity. And so right where you're at, maybe you want to receive the fullness of that love today by trusting Jesus. That what he did on the cross for you was sufficient to pay for that which keeps you from God. So that you can confidently come to God and receive all the grace you need right now in this moment for this life forever. You just say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are the only son of God. I believe that you came and lived a sinless life. You died for me. You were raised from the dead so that I too could experience resurrection. The Bible says if you believe and if you receive, if you turn from thinking you can do it yourself and trust that only Jesus can save you, that you will be saved by calling on the name of the Lord. And if you do that, I want to invite you to come let me know after the service. Let one of our other pastors know. Let, let the friend who brought you know. It could be the best Christmas ever. Maybe you want to come now and worship. Come giving back to Jesus what's his, his tithe. Giving to Jesus even more, maybe an offering so that the message of the gospel can go throughout all the ends of the earth. Beginning here at home. And maybe you just want to worship because you realize how beautiful are the unanticipated gifts at Christmas. So we come, Lord Jesus, in this moment to give you thanks and to worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.